let us become one more time. Lift your hands. Let us be. Sing it, church. Come on, sing it, church. Sing it out. song to him. If you would come stand right in front of me. We want to take a moment to pray. Is there a need? Is there a need? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, I pray 
that you would touch and meet needs. I pray that you would open doors. I pray, God, that you would touch and heal bodies, Lord. I pray that you would comfort hearts, God. I pray for direction and clarity in what is needed in their lives, Lord. I pray against the oppressive hand of the enemy that have spoken things over their lives that you have not said. And I pray, God, that you would uproot all the power of the enemy over their life. You've done it on the cross. Let it become reality in their lives. So, Lord, even in the boldness of them coming, Lord, and, and, and stepping up here, I pray that they would be reminded this morning that you are with them, Emmanuel, God with us. And what we really need, Lord, more than money or healing or the doors open, we need a fresh reminder that you are with us. their hearts to know that this morning, that you are the God that's with us. Encourage them, strengthen them, heal them, deliver them, break yokes and bondages and strongholds. The God that delivers us. Would you do that for my brother? Would you do that for my sister? In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Would you give God glory? Come on, would you give God praise? Hallelujah. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Justin holding it down in the band. Amen. Hallelujah. So glad you're here this morning. Trust you sense the presence of God, and we are just thankful uh, for just Him coming here. Man, it's so critical that we be here every Sunday. It's critical. My heart is here every Sunday. Because we need, we need to worship God in community. It's a beautiful thing. Amen. Um, I want to just put you in as a reminder of our Thanksgiving food drive. I brought my cans in today. Um, so I'm expecting you to bring yours. We're trying to raise a thousand canned goods. We'll have a count for you next week. But if you haven't gotten your 30 cans, at least 30 cans, uh, I need you to do that and bring them in. Amen. So I want to put you remember of that, remembrance of that tomorrow, not tomorrow, next Sunday, November 11th, we are having uh, a mental health Sunday, a mental health Sunday. And the aim of next week is to debunk the myth uh, that going to get help from a professional counselor is unspiritual. We're going to work through that next week. We're going to see what the Bible has to say about mental health, and then we're going to bring up a panel of practitioners um, to come and share with us about mental health. I would encourage you uh, to invite your friends. This is an important Sunday 
uh, for our church because we want to begin to speak honestly, boldly, and biblically about mental health issues. Amen? So we're excited about that. Uh, I have about four professionals that will be joining me on stage. I'll be just ans- asking questions. If you have questions about it, you can, info, uh, you can email info at gossipfellowship.net. We'll be happy to take those. Amen? Cool. Um, Gospel Fellowship, from its conception, believe it or not, has had a large heart for church planting, for church planting. And through the stages of our existence, we've seen that happen in different ways. And kind of the first three years of our existence, our aim in church planting was to become self-sufficient. It was to get to a place where Gospel Fellowship can pay its own bills, believe it or not, in the conception and early stages of our churches, we had other churches that came alongside and partner and gave funds and resources uh, for Gospel Fellowship to exist and to help her get on her feet. Um, in the past couple of years, uh, past two years or so, Gospel Fellowship has been giving a percentage of their annual income to Acts 29, which is a church planting network in which I have the joy of being on staff for the Southeast region. Uh, we have supported church planters that way and church planting that way. And uh, I have, uh, we have critically thought about who we bring before you on Sunday morning. And I just want to put this slide up with these uh, pastors on this slide. Um, and here's why uh, we have been very intentional about bringing church planters before you. It's not by accident. That's intentional. And here's why. We want you to be very accustomed to what it's like to meet, to hear preach, to hear about their lives, uh, those that are planting churches. Um, Lord knows one of my desires is to plant another gospel fellowship church somewhere. Uh, even if you don't want to call it gospel fellowship, I'll wrestle with you a little bit over the name, but I won't, you know, I won't, it won't be an end all be all. Amen. I just, I, we want to be a church that's planting churches. Why? Because it's cool and sexy. No, we believe that one of the primary vehicles God is using in this age to win lost people is church planting. And so we want to be a part of that. Uh, this year, the elder and I, the elders and I have been talking about how we can be even more involved and how we can have deeper relationship with different church planters and support them with prayer and with finance and with resources. Um, so I want you to be praying about that uh, endeavor. And we have our latest church planter here. Uh, his name is Winston Miller. Had the great opportunity of meeting him in Charlotte, North Carolina, and his beautiful wife, his brilliant wife. Um, is she here? Can I put you on the spot? No? You sure? I can? Okay, cool. She's from the old church, so she, she, she knows what's obvious. If you're from the new church, I can't really put you on the spot like that. You'll kill me. But I just want you to come up and introduce your husband. Could you do that for me? Please, let's give her a hand as she come. I didn't plan this. I'm sorry. <laughs> Luther, can you help her up the stairs, please? Uh, she was at the assessment in North Carolina, and she is just super, super smart and loves the Lord. Um, and so I'm going to let her introduce her husband. And then the next voice you hear will be that of Pastor Winston Miller that is planting in Lauderhill, Florida. Let's give him a hand now as he comes. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, my hair's changed a lot since that picture. 
Uh, but uh, man, you, it's such a, a wonderful joy to be with you all this morning. Um, like our family, our daughter Alyssa is a sophomore away at college. And then there's Alex, 10th grader, and Andrew, who's in the fifth grade. And I get the uh, privilege of introducing my husband, Winston, this morning. Um, we've been married for uh, over 22 years, and uh, God has been good to us through those years. We've, um, we've worked, we've, we've gone to college together, worked in industry, and um, uh, for probably over 15 years, uh, the Lord has been calling him, and then by extension, me, and then by extension, the children into church planting. And so here we are. Um, on the uh, precipice of diving off into that. So thank you so much for inviting us here today. So um, without further delay, um, I really want to introduce a man that I love and that I know loves the Lord. And I pray that um, uh, the words that he preaches to you are the words of life uh, and that they will give life and strength and wisdom to his people that we can take out into the world and impact uh, with the salt and light that the Christ has called us to. I don't even know what to say after that. God bless you all. <laughs> Winston. Praise the Lord, everyone. Amen. That's another thing from the old school. Some of you all knew what to say. I know I'm in the right place. I'm so grateful to be here at uh, Gospel Fellowship this morning, and um, thank you so much. Pastor Rodney, um, he's been a source of great encouragement to me and my family as we've, we're moving through this journey. Um, I thank God for my family. Thank you for allowing my wife to uh, introduce me. Um, she said we've been married for over 23 years. I'm, I'm sure you can't tell by looking at her. You get close to me, you see the gray hairs. And uh, I'm a little older, so. But we're grateful to be here. I'm so thankful for my family. Um, uh, as she mentioned, uh, my two boys are here and my daughter's away in college. And it's really been a number of years now that God has been um, touching my heart to, uh, to plant a church. And uh, if we were to sit down and just tell you the journey, you'd have to have a long time to talk about what God has done in and through us and how he has transformed my life because of the gospel. I'm grateful today, and I'm, I'm glad to be among a group of people who as well, uh, I just feel that you all are grateful for the gospel and for each other, and that's why it's gospel fellowship. So I'm really grateful to be here this morning and to worship with you all, um, and look forward to having many more interactions with this church. I just love the spirit that I feel here today. So we want to dive into the word of God this morning. Uh, we're we're going to be examining Psalm 113. Psalm 113. So if you would turn there in your Bibles, um, on your devices, um, whatever you might have. It's also going to be on the screen for those of you that uh, don't have that. So we're grateful for the word of God this morning. I want to read from uh, Psalm 113. It says this, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Pray with me. Lord, we are so grateful, grateful, grateful to be in your house, to be with your people. Lord, to have your word. Your word is light to our feet. It's a lamp to our path. It's used to transform us, to encourage us. Open our ears. Open our eyes that we may hear and behold wonderful, wondrous things from your law today. And transform our hearts that we may desire to hear, to listen, and to obey. Let your name be glorified today. In the name of Jesus, amen. So I want to take a few minutes to set the stage as we dive into this chapter. Um, as a book of psalms and poems, the psalms uh, are unique in the scriptures. In the psalms, the great King David and, and other writers they put pen to paper to reflect on what they have experienced uh, and learned about their God, about their people, about their purpose. And in the Psalms, they express their loves, their, their joys, their fears, their frustrations, even desires for vengeance. They wrote songs about life in light of their place in this world. They, they wrote songs about their their the fact that they were the people of the one true and living God. And so they taught these songs to the congregation of Israel to shape their understanding of who God is and how they ought to rightly relate to him. So the Psalms, this gift from God, it's not merely the hymn book for the ancient Israelites. The words of these hymn writers uh, well, with these words, we have timeless language from the Holy Spirit that we can use in order to express our own joys, our own fears, even our own doubts. We can find comfort in our God. We can build our trust and faith in him. So as we read the Psalms, we learn to appreciate the unique way that God chooses to speak to us. Can the... It's interesting that we have to learn how to appreciate the Psalms. It's kind of like art appreciation. Um, uh, you may think that a painting is interesting, but then when you learn about the brush strokes, when you learn about the medium, when you learn the history behind the painting, when you learn a little bit more about the artist, you're moved to another level of appreciation. And so I, I pray that in our examination of Psalm 113 today that uh, our appreciation will increase for this Psalm. And, and will also inform our worship of our glorious and gracious God. So another important thing to understand is that writers characterize certain psalms. So we have psalms of lament, psalms of thanksgiving, we have royal psalms, and so on. 
And Psalms 113 belongs to a category known as uh, Psalms of Praise or Hymns. It's the first of six particular psalms called the Hallel Praise, Hallel Psalms. And Hallel means praise as in hallelujah, praise Yahweh. Uh, the Hallel Psalms have themes of God's deliverance and redemption, celebrating God as the one who re rescues and as the ultimate redeemer. And so in celebrating God as the creator and redeemer, these hymns typically invite or include an invitation to praise God. Some of you all may be familiar and may even be able to quote Psalm 103 verses 1 through 2 in which David invites himself to praise God. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and what? Forget not all his benefits. And, and another example of that is Psalms 117 verse 1. Praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples. In other words, not just Israel, but all of the nations of the earth are invited to praise the Lord. And, and this is anticipating the day when the gospel would bring people from every nation, every language, every ethnicity into the covenant community of God. And then even in the Psalm 148, uh, the writer there is, is calling the entire created order to praise the Lord, including the sun, the moon, the stars, sea creatures, hail, snow, mountains, fruit trees, livestock, everything to praise the Lord in addition to kings and princes and young men and women. So the hymns not only invite us to praise, but typically they also give us a reason to praise the Lord. So in Psalm 117, the nation should praise God. Why? For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. So why this emphasis regarding praising God? Truth is that even if it is evident that God is worthy of praise, we may have to be compelled to praise him. As children, we had to be taught how to properly say thank you and how to express gratitude and praise to others, didn't we? It doesn't come naturally, doesn't it? For example, my children, they've picked up on the language of culinary praise by watching Food Network. So as articulate as the chefs may be in critique, they, they offer critiques for the meals of the contestants but they're just as effusive with their praise. So following their example, my youngest son might say to my wife about dinner, uh, Mom, this chicken has exquisite flavor. <laughs> and then, then my other son might try to outdo him by saying something like, the rosemary adds aromatic depth and the stewed <laughs> chicken pairs well with the delicately prepared garlic mashed potatoes. And so what they're learning to do here is they're learning how to praise. And they're learning how to express their gratitude. And it's a little over the top, but we take it. So, so these psalms, these hymns, they emphasize praise in order to properly orient us toward our God. If we're not praising God, it's likely that we're not giving him credit for what he has in, done, and instead we're giving credit to someone or something else, even maybe to ourselves. So Psalm 113 
calls every one of us as the servants of God everywhere and at all times to praise the incomparably great, gracious, and generous God. Notice that the psalm begins with an invitation to praise and ends with the same invitation, praise the Lord. The first verse tells us who is being called upon to praise God as well as the object of their praise. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. The servants of the Lord, those who have the privilege of knowing God through his word and serving God by his grace are being called upon to open their hearts and to open their mouths and offer their praise to God. So we mentioned that uh, in other Psalms, uh, there's an invitation to the nations to, and to the created order to praise God. This Psalm specifically notes those who have been chosen by God to be his and to serve him. So God tells the nation of Israel in the book of Isaiah, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. Don't you know that if you are a servant of the Lord here today, you have been chosen by God to be his servant? Is anybody grateful for that? And so Psalms 134 verse 1 says, Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. And this is talking about the priests of the tabernacle who served God day and night. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, it informs us, Peter informs us that those of us who have experienced God's redemption through the gospel, that we are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies. The King James Version would say, show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we as Christians, as the servants of the Lord, we have the responsibility to proclaim the excellencies of God. Why? Because the world does not have an accurate view of our God. People who don't know God are invoking God's name just to justify themselves. I don't know if you've ever heard somebody who doesn't even love God saying, only God can judge me. Really? You really want God to judge you? Well, or, or, or it, it might be said, God is good and all the time, right? So these have become cultural sayings. But we, the people of God, the servants of God, we have been chosen to articulate the true attributes and holiness and excellencies of our God before all people so that they may turn from their idols and serve the true and living God. Notice that we are called to praise the name of the Lord. This is repeated in verses 2 and 3. Praising the name of the Lord must include the truth of who God is and knowledge of what God has really done. Our name points to what we represent, to what we have done, to who we are. So if we're misrepresented by somebody, it, it gives people a wrong understanding of what we're about. Some people might even say, don't call me out of my name, if you've ever heard that. In, in the same way, it's possible to misrepresent God by declaring things about him that are not consistent with the way that he has revealed himself in his word. So if we don't have a proper understanding of what the Word of God has to say about our God, we'll be prone to 
uh, subjective views of God that have nothing to do with who he really is. We'll end up celebrating our own invented view of God that serves our goals and our desires. And all that is is idolatry. So the name of the Lord is God's self-revelation for our edification and for our understanding in worship. In Exodus 34, Moses is on Mount Sinai, and Yahweh himself descends in the cloud. And Yahweh himself, the Word of God says, proclaimed the name of the Lord. And this is what the Lord declared that his name was. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God shows that he is a holy God who is concerned with justice against sin, no matter how long it takes, even to the fourth generation, and that he is the most compassionate being that we could ever know, forgiving, gracious, merciful, and faithful. What a complete picture of God that guides our praise. So praising the name of the Lord means specifically reciting the character, the attributes, and the deeds of the Lord. He, he becomes magnified in our own minds, and, and we can see him working in every aspect of our lives, and we now want to declare his greatness to other people. God is worthy of a praise that is specific, that is eloquent, that is thoughtful, that is creative. And praising God will transform our hearts and our thoughts towards God because it's in step with proclaiming the gospel. We praise God when we proclaim that the just and gracious God of the universe looked upon hopelessly sinful people. And what did he do? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh to bear his wrath against sin on the cross and to show his power over sin in the resurrection so that all who turn and trust in him will be reconciled to God forever. This is truly the praise of the name of the Lord our God. So with that call to praise firmly rooted in our think thinking, look with me to the next verse. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So verse 1 tells us that the call to praise God is for all of us, for all of us. And verse two, 2 tells us when we ought to be praising God at all times. We're to be praising God right now and for the rest of our lives throughout and into eternity. No matter what the weather is like, no matter what the economic, social, or political climate is, we're to consistently be praising the name of the Lord, both today and every tomorrow. As human beings, our, our thoughts and our speech, even as Christians, tends to be shaped or driven by our circumstances, doesn't it? It's easy to despair of all that may be happening around us and forget that God has promised to work all things together for his good and for, for our good and for his glory. But he's worthy of praise and adoration, not just when we 
see our prayers answered or when we see the completion of things, he's worthy of the praise at all times. In times of joy and comfort, as well as in times of grief or pain, in times of, of global upheaval, in times uh, of peace and safety. When, when the public official that we support wins the election, or when the politician that we fear the most gets in office, I want you to know that God is still worthy of our praise. He's still in charge. The Bible doesn't, it, well, the Bible does give us permission to lament our condition or even to pour out our complaint before God, but we never stop there because we have here the commandment to bless the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And so not only are we praising God at all times, but we're praising him in all places, in all places. Verse 3 tells us that the name of the Lord is to be praised from the rising of the sun to its setting. And so the ancient Hebrews described uh, the sun as rising in the east and setting in the west, much like we do. But we know it's the earth that actually moves, right? But this is literally what this phrase means, from the east to the west. It means everywhere. The name of the Lord is to be praised in all places of the earth and throughout the universe. It doesn't matter where you are, at home, at school, at work, in prison, in a war zone, or even if you're in a country where they despise the name of the Lord, God intends for his name to be praised everywhere. You see, we, the saints of God, who know our God, we are commissioned to spread the good news of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the entire world, aren't we? Our mission is to see others come to faith in Christ and that they too become the servants of the Lord who seek to praise God at all times and everywhere. John Piper has famously stated that missions exists because worship doesn't. And, and there's going to be a time when this mission is unnecessary, when, as Piper says, this age is over and, and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God and missions will be no more. But for now, we're called to spread the gospel wherever we can, whenever we can. Around the world, yes, but also in our own neighborhoods, in our own schools, at our places of work, in our homes, everywhere we are called upon to praise the name of the Lord. And so now that the psalmist has instructed all of us to praise God at all times and in all places, verse 4 tells us why. Tells us why. Uh, we praise him because he is great. How many of you all are grateful that our God is great? And there is nothing that can be compared to his greatness. We sung about it today. You see, what it says here is the Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. This, God, this tells us that our God is, is transcendent. He's other than us. His existence is really beyond our ability to truly conceive. However, the psalmist isn't trying to tell us exactly where God is in saying that he's high above the heavens because God is everywhere at all times, eternally. It aims to help us to understand the greatness of our God and how 
how he is great. So how is our God great? The Lord is high above all nations. The Hebrew word for high indicates that God is being described as exalted over every nation. Exalted over every nation. My family and I recently watched the movie uh, First Man. It's the story of Neil Armstrong, who's said to be the first man to walk on the moon. And in one early scene, he and another astronaut uh, are nearly speechless as they view the Earth uh, from space with its blue atmosphere surrounding it. And at that moment, they were probably uh, the human beings with the highest visual perspective of our planet. And that's one understanding uh, of being high, and that's true about God. But if you've ever watched the opening ceremonies of, uh, of the Olympics, and there will be a parade of nations. And I remember watching and, and being uh, just amazed at the artistry of our creator. When you see the beautiful diversity of the peoples of the world on display, representing the nations of the world. And inevitably, you're going to see some nations that you forgot about or you didn't even know existed, right? And thankfully, they actually put some, something on the, on the screen to show you where that nation is. But, but think about it. The God that you call Father rules over every nation and over every leader. Whether those nations are large or small in population, whether they're developed or developing, whether they're groundbreaking or they're lacking in technology, whether they're wicked or compassionate in their governing philosophy, I'm so glad that God is high above all nations, including ours. He is the one who the prophet Daniel proclaimed, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. So when we practice articulating the greatness of our God, the, my God, my God is high above all nations and his glory is above the heavens. Our perspective changes. And we can now find peace and confidence in the one who rules over all creation. Because God is in control. He reigns. And so this bold statement of verse 4 evokes the question of verse 5, which is at the center of this song. Who is like our God? Who is like our God? That's got to be one of the most significant rhetorical questions of all time. You, you ask a rhetorical question when you already know the answer. And the answer to who is like our God is obviously what? Nobody. No one. It's a question of wonder. Be amazed. Who in heaven or on earth or above or beneath the earth can even be compared to our God? No one. And his incomparability in this psalm gives us a reason to praise our God. So in verse 5, God is seated on high, looking far down on the heavens and the earth. And the Hebrew word here for seated uh, might be better translated as enthroned, enthroned. This picture is, is that of royalty, of our God sovereign, sovereignly ruling and reigning and, and triumphing over everything. He's enthroned so high that by comparison, he has to look far down on the heavens, much less on the earth. And in looking far down, God is not, we understand that God is not just peering down at us in, with disdain. 
and, and disapproval, and he's only waiting to zap us when we do something wrong. And, and neither is God seeking merely to observe us and leave us alone to our fate. He didn't just wind up the clock of time and he's simply watching us as it ticks away. No, that's not the character of our God. Our God is great because as high as he is enthroned, he graciously condescends to men of the lowest estate inviting us into fellowship with him. He, he desires to become intimately acquainted uh, with not just mankind in general, but with you and you and you and I in particular. So we praise him for his greatness, but we also praise him for his grace. Because beyond describing God's transcendence uh, or his majesty, the description of how high and exalted our God is serves to highlight how great God is in his condescension toward us. Verses 7 and 9 describe probably the most unfortunate members of society and of our world. They, they describe those who are unable to pull themselves up. It says here, he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Um, it describes those who are poverty-stricken, not just in their pocketbooks or in their influence, but in their very soul. They're unable to lift themselves out of it. They are unable to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. So verse 7 tells us that the Lord is the one who, again, raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Commentators uh, tell us and teach us that in ancient Middle Eastern society, these people, these poor people that are made in God's image, they would have to call upon those uh, who were passing by for alms during the day. And then at night, uh, because it would get cold, they would cower in the garbage heaps of dung and ashes that had been warmed by the sun during the day for protection. And they represented the lowest members of society, economically and socially. They were powerless, and they were dependent on others to supply their needs and for their very survival. But in verse 7, we see the very nature of our God. It says, he takes the hand of the poverty-stricken man who's lying in the dust, and he raises him to his feet. From his throne above the heavens, he cares for the poor. From his exalted position, his heart for the helpless is clear. He, he puts his hand underneath the body of the needy man who's covered by ashes and waste and lifts him up. And the extremities described here are unmatched because God sits enthroned above the universe and the earth, looking with compassion far down to what could be described as the lowest members of society. And God's next move is absolutely astounding because verse 8 tells us that he doesn't just raise them up, he makes them sit with princes, with the princes of, the, of his people. And, and the, the word, the same word that's used in describing God as seated on high is the same word that's used here uh, in verse 8 for, for the word sit. 
The God who is enthroned lifts those who are unable to help themselves, those who are denied, those who are derided, those who are pitiable, those who are helpless and needed, and he enthrones them. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is not a mere illustration. Our God truly does care about the marginalized members of our society. He cares about the poor. And may it be that we as the people of God have that same heart and that same compassion that our God has. But, but this is not merely describing a social, a physical, or an economic solution to empower and uplift us. Verse 6 speaks to the total depravity of humanity and our inability to save ourselves. All of us, we are the ones who are impoverished in our souls. We're the ones who are unable to save ourselves by our own efforts. So, so in the incarnation, when the Word of God became man and, and lived among us, God's condescension to us was real. And, and 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in Philippians 2, verse 6, it further describes that condescension by saying, though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And look what happens. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is why we praise our God. But God has not only exalted Christ, if you think about it, Ephesians 2, 4, 6 tells us that God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and did what? He raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we praise God because of his saving grace. He lifted us up, some, a song used to say, from the miry clay. He, he planted our feet and caused our feet to stand on solid ground. He's worthy of our praise. And finally, we praise God because of his generosity. Let me read to you some familiar words, but they're coming from the story of Samuel. It's in verse, First uh, Samuel chapter 2, verse 8. You don't have to turn there because it says this. It says, he raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. So verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 113 are almost identical to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8. And it's most likely a quote of this text. Because this is the praise of Hannah. Hannah was the mother of the prophet Samuel, 
and, and she was derided by another woman and dismissed by her husband because she could not have a child. And God answered her prayer and gave her a son whom she then dedicated to the Lord. And he became one of the most significant prof prophets in the history of the nation of Israel. And so she praised God as the one who raises the poor and lifts the needy. Because at that time in Hebrew society, a barren woman was regarded as a failure and as one whom God was punishing. But when we look at verse 9 of Psalm 113, it says, He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. The writer wants us to think about Hannah. By, by giving ch children to Hannah, the Lord brought her happiness and, and he brought her honor. But Hannah's joy was not just hers alone because she gives birth uh, to Samuel. And so that joy becomes that of the entire nation. And, and all Israel is blessed by the ministry of Samuel. He's a prophet. He's a judge. And hundreds of years later, Mary, the mother of Jesus, the earthly mother of Jesus, she echoes this same praise in Luke chapter 1 before the birth of the Messiah when she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. I want you to know that God is generous in that he does not just bless the barren woman, but he enthrones her in her home and through her children blesses so many others. Because of God's gracious generosity toward Hannah, the nation of Israel was blessed with probably the greatest judge the country had ever known. And because of God's gracious generosity toward Mary, she became the earthly mother of the Savior of the world, our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we have a reason to praise God today. Jesus condescended to us, those whom he has chosen to be his servants, those whom he has lifted from the ash heap and seated us in heavenly places with him. And I need you to know, he didn't just give us something. He didn't just give us a blessing. By seating us with him in heavenly places, he gave us everything, everything. He brought us into relationship with himself, not just so that we could experience his blessing, but so that we could be distributors of those blessings to everyone else. His care for the poor in spirit and for the economically and physically poor happens through us as we proclaim the gospel and as we live in light of the gospel. Because he was so extravagantly generous to us, we have the power and the means to be extravagantly generous to each other and to the world. Aren't you grateful for Jesus Christ coming into the world and that you are his and that you can now give Jesus Christ to others? So I thank God for this psalm today. Who is like the Lord our God? No one. So wherever we are, whatever we may be experiencing, 
we have a reason to praise God. And this call to praise transcends all time, all space, history, all of our future, because our God is sovereign. He's in control, not just of this world, but of our individual lives. I, I want you to know you're not just spinning out of control. So we must continue to direct our praise to God, even when our relationships or our economic condition or our nation's problems seem too big for us. They're not too big for our God. And that big God's condescension to us is real. He not only lived a perfect life among us, but he died for us and he was raised from the dead for our justification. He sent his spirit to strengthen and to sanctify us so, so we can have this great assurance that he is ours and we are his. That's, these are the reasons why he is great and we offer our praise to God everywhere and at all times. And I just want to close with one verse of this hymn of praise. Some of you may know it. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son who yielded his life an atonement for sin and opened the floodgates that all might come in. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he has done. God bless you. Give God another hand clap. Praise. A sermon like that pulls you out of self-absorption, just being so fixated on what's happening to you and points us to look at a God that, that has done great things for us. Amen. Let's prepare our hearts for communion. Prepare the table for communion. Think of this week, reflecting on what we're about to partake in as the bread represents his body and the, the drink represents his blood. I thought on the garden in the beginning, man had one commandment not to eat of that tree and not to eat of that fruit and man disobeyed God and ate of that tree and ate of that fruit and that that caused separation uh, from us and God it caused shame to come upon the man and for him to hide himself it caused man to have to work with toil and strain but at the Lord's Supper he fixes what went wrong in the garden and instead of a command not to eat, he says to us who believe in him, he says, come, take, eat. This is my body. This is my blood. He moves us from disobedience to obeying the command to partake in the Lord's Supper. He moves us from death that has suffered to being reminded to the life that Christ provides. He moves us from separation into great union 
with him. He moves us from shame to approval. He moves us from obligation to joyful obedience where he's called us to serve. You see, now the command is not to don't eat of that tree. The command is now come eat. This is my body. Come drink. This is my blood. The scripture says in Matthew 26, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. As we get ready to partake in the Lord's Supper, I encourage you to again look inward, to, to check your heart. If there's things you need to repent of, to ask forgiveness of, I pray during this time that you would do that. I pray that you would look back and remember all that Christ has done for you. As our, our, as our preacher said this morning, the great works that the Lord has done in his condensation. I also, also want to encourage you to look forward to our coming king that is coming to rescue us to that day where there is no mission because we are in the presence of our Savior. Let me pray for you and then we'll take of the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for the word that was given. Thank you that you have reached down where we were and dwelt among man. That you lived the life that we couldn't live died to death that we should have died and God we say thank you for redemption thank you for what you've done for us father as we take of this supper would you help us to remember all that was accomplished on the cross and give us hope moving forward we ask in Jesus name you can line up on the sides and as the Spirit releases you to partake in the supper, you can do that.
Bring your sorrows and dreams. 